0: Hi, and welcome. I'm Sally Wilson, and it's a great pleasure to have as my guest today, Craig Rispen, who's a business futurist and innovation expert. Welcome, Craig.
1: Thanks for having me. I can't wait to have our conversation. Who knows where it's going to go?
0: Well, I tell you what, I'm already feeling expansive and like possibilities are boundless with that background you've got. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I'm celebrating a space today, because there's all sorts of things coming in space, really excited about what Elon is doing. And I, I have a little claim to fame that there's a little tiny satellite, one of these micro satellites out in space with my signature on it. And I have to tell you, Sally, I never expected that to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it was a little Australian space satellite company and they said, Craig, you were so helpful introducing an investor to us. So will you sign our satellite before it goes up on Elon's Falcon 9 rocket? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be cool. That's so exciting. I know. I was just (laughs) like blown away. I'm like, but no, those are all your engineers that have done all the hard work. And they said, well, we couldn't have got it on if it was for you. And I'm really, it was because of me. And they said, well, yeah, that's what the investor said that you were promoting us. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. (laughs) So,
0: but as you said, even before we started recording, Craig, you see your job as one of service.
1: Yes, yes. Can
0: you describe what that means to you?
1: Right. Well, to be of service is to help others. And I love to help others. And when it comes to individuals, many times they come to me as individuals and say, "Mm, I'm a bit lost Perhaps they'll say I'm a bit lost and I want to reboot my career. Mm. And so I'll point them in the right direction that they may have not considered. But uh, typically, I'm working with leaders of organizations, chief executives, business owners of, you know, uh, sort of largest uh, organizations in the country and the networks of smaller businesses as well. Mm. And uh, I just really want to help them because I feel an empathy for their employees. If they Mm -hmm. don't have foresight and they're not good leaders and their business suffers, the employees suffer. And I've seen that so often. So that's typically how I help is on an individual level with career or strategy advice. And then at the business level with business leaders. And I love what I do because People say I make a difference and that's what I really I think I'm put on this earth to do. So,
0: Yeah. So, Craig, what do you think are the important attributes of a great futurist?
1: Ah, great. Well, I wrote a book about this called (laughs) How to Think Like a Futurist. And uh, I've also studied how to be a futurist. But if I could pull out, uh, the you know, maybe three highlights of what's been the best advice I've gotten from the greatest futurists in the world of how to be a great futurist was one great futurist told me, go into a news agent, and we still do have some of those, <laughs> and, and look, look at the magazines rack and randomly choose a magazine that from an industry you've never worked in, and so uh, I used to do this. I used to go into news agents and I'd pick up a random magazine, whether it be a Cat Fancy magazine or Aviation Week or Woman's Day or Field and Stream. And you can read through it and get a, you know a wide ranging view of what's going on in that uh, industry. And I still do that uh, today in a little different way. If I get an an inquiry from uh, a company, right now I'm about to start a project looking at the next five years in the industry of steel. So what I will do is I will contact the Peak Industry Group and get them to send me three to six months of their industry publication, which might be still in print or digital and read what people are talking about are the biggest issues facing them as an industry. And I'm lucky enough that I get to work in about 50 plus different industries a year. So I guess that first tip that I got from that futurist to pick up a random magazine was to have that wide ranging view cross industry, not a particular industry. And realize that in each of these little niches, there could be you know multi-billion-dollar, trillion-dollar industries behind mm-hmm. each of those industry magazines or or consumer magazines, and uh, that's what I've really found. That really opened up my mind. So that's first. It's the diversity of thought. Mm. I think of yeah, being open to new thinking systems. Mm-hmm. So when I say thinking systems, we have all sorts of models that we use as futurists. So the, probably the best tip I've had is whenever you work with an organization, just don't jump into the details, take that global view. So I'll Mm. always do a horizon scan Mm. of what's happening in their industry and so what does that look like? So, you know, stepping back and seeing what's coming over the horizon from a worldwide view and then bringing that uh, down to the local. So that's the, 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 the model of, you know, thinking global and bringing it local. Mm-hmm. So diversity of thought and then global and, and local. And having these models of like scenario planning that a lot of people know that futurists do scenario planning. And this is so important in a world now where it's changing so quickly to have these um, wide ranging understanding, global and local and multiple possible futures. That's Mm -hmm. what scenario planning is. And so I think those are the three main tent poles of being a great uh, futurist is that Wide view, the global and local, and multiple possible futures. I think that is a short course in how think, uh, futurists think. You know.
0: So, and and this is very much aligned with the, you know the title of your book, "How to Think Like a Futurist." So, you're you're really saying that anyone can learn how to be a futurist.
1: Oh yes, because there's a great, great history of the techniques that have been perfected and used millions of times with. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of organizations of all of all types, and you know, studied at university. What people really don't know about our community, and there is pretty big community of futurists on one uh, network I'm part of is 21,000 futurists there. And Mm. about if you look at that community, it's about a third academics. So they're studying at university, they're doing research, they're the head of a particular industry uh, focus. Mm. And then about a third are in governments and non-government organizations. And I run into them all the time. I remember presenting in Canberra years ago, and three young guys came up to me afterwards and said, Craig, we've been following your career for a long time. And I said, and who are you? And they said, we are the three futurists in the defense department. And I'm like, oh, how cool. Wow. Yeah, I know. What a great job to have. And Mm. and then, so you've got government and non-government organizations. And then there's the commercial side. And that's where I particularly come from, my background Mm. and and where I play. Although I dabble with government departments and and projects, they're not my main focus. And I do a bit in academia, but I find that often my points of view aren't really compatible with either government or academia very much. So yeah, Yeah. I, I bump into things. And I have sharp (laughs) elbows when I go there. And I don't try and do that. But it's hard when you're introduced at a university, and the head of history kind of guffaws and laughs at you, even before you start. I only get heckled when I work with government and universities. Mm. Yeah,
0: I'm interested in that. Because I imagine... I imagine you do encounter resistance, not only from people who are coming from a different perspective, different background, different training, but also I imagine when you're working with individuals, because you do individual mentoring as well, and also with companies and businesses, um, in order to fully embrace what you have to say, they have to change their thinking, right?
1: They do. And so when I really think about what my role is as a futurist, I am, you know, working in this whole idea of mind shift. Mm. And you, what I found is, uh, especially if people want to change, they really have to shift their worldview. They can't have the same worldview and then change their behavior, I've found. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and this is so important. And it's been studied in areas of psychology and NLP and all all, all sorts of yeah. areas that you really have to change your worldview. And it's a good thing because I know how to change people's worldview because I just revealed to them how the world has changed. It's already changed and maybe they haven't changed yeah. and how, yes, the future for many people when they hear me speak is a little bit scary, yes, but also massively optimistic. I'm an optimistic uh, futurists there are some pessimistic futurists out there that say the world is you know going to hell in a handbass, handbag handbag yeah. and and we're going to blow ourselves up uh, but they haven't been right so far <laughs> so, yeah uh...
0: i'm really glad about that right <laughs> yes yes yes. Yeah. yes and so does that sort of you know the subtitle of your book is no first be first profit first.
1: Yes, yes. That's my mantra in the commercial space. Now, profit first might mean just profiting from knowledge. So when I'm working with not for profits, I go, can we take profit out? And I go, no, because we can profit from knowledge. And and even if you just want to get up to a zero budget. But anyway, uh, yes. And really, if you think about that, knowing first, that's foresight. Mm. Um, But if I try, uh, my audience of CEOs, if I try and sell them foresight, they think that's something they don't need. But knowing first is really useful uh, to business leaders Mm. of all types. Mm. So it's foresight and then being first, that's being, you know, taking a stand on that future, placing a bet and innovating and, do, and being first. That's what innovation is. Mm. And then profit first. And that's really my background. I come from a background of actually using foresight and innovation and then commercialization. That's the profit side. Yeah. And that's really the definition of entrepreneurship. It is creativity uh, applied for commercial game. And so that's why I get to work with lots and lots of entrepreneurs. But I have to tell you, Sally, I've got this uh, feeling, and it keeps on repeating over and over and over again. You know, I'm back to doing live events now. No, you know, Zoom was the thing for the past couple of years, but mm. I'm sitting with leaders. And many times, when I'm working with chief executives, it's cross-industry leaders in the room. So there'll be like 15 CEOs from every industry, mm. a law office, a recruiter, uh, typically a construction firm travel industry, education, you name it, uh, in in these groups, sometimes there's a not-for-profit as well. And I have to tell you what they're asking me. They're asking me, okay, what do we do next?
0: Mm.
1: What? These are leaders of, you know, medium to large organizations. And I think Sally, they're really lost right now. Mm. They tell me about the big problems they're having And they don't seem to have any idea of how to fix them. So one big problem that that they're talking about is when I ask the question, do you have a key position that you can't fill, you know, that's legislated, maybe it's required for compliance, or it's the head of sales or marketing, and you just can't get them, um, or it's really, really impacting your business, and they, all of them put their hand up. Right, and, and I say, oh, great, let's have a discussion about this. Who has a creative solution for how to fix this? And not a single hand goes up, Sally. And mm-hmm. I think, wow, if they had the diversity of ideas and they looked global and local yeah. and looked at possible scenarios of what might happen, then I think they would come up with some ideas mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's very much um, kind of a, a trend in our society, isn't it? It's specializing to the point where you've got such tunnel vision that you actually can't even serve your specialization fully. Um, and I'm, you know, you brought up two words, two words that really stood out to me then. You get a feeling, <laughs> right? So you, you're basing some of your ideas on feelings as well. Is that correct?
1: It is. So, I have to have deep empathy for my customers to mm-hmm. really truly understand them. Yeah. And so, I really spend time to try and get them to take down their mask yeah. uh, that, you know, I'm in charge and I know what I'm doing and really be vulnerable and share with me some yeah. of their concerns. And I have to tell you, Sally, sometimes it takes a couple bottles of. A wine at the speaker dinner <laughs> after the presentation. Sometimes it does, uh, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, does it I ever was,
0: take a game of golf? I'm just curious. <laughs>
1: uh, sometimes, something like that. And they'll admit to me like, well, maybe I don't have the right team to be able to compete in the future or the right strategy mm-hmm. or even this. I was working with a really big drug company. Uh, you, you would know who they are. Uh, they're world famous, you know, multi, multi, multi-billion dollar drug company. And I was talking to them about the future of medicine. And then we went to dinner and yes, in that industry, lots of bottles of wine flowed. And a couple hours into the dinner, the country manager leaned over to me and said, hey, Rispin, sometimes they call me by my surname, hey, Rispin, just wanna ask you this idea. You know, you were presenting how your daughter's working in personalized medicine and how personalized medicine is gonna mean that in a few days, you're gonna be able to create a drug potentially that will solve an individual's uh, unique cancer based on their unique DNA. And Craig, of course, that's really going to put us out of business. So how long do you think we have? How about that for a question? How long do we have? And yeah. I said, well, hmm, maybe 10 to 15 years. And everybody was listening. there, hanging on what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Like I had the answer or something, but I Mm. gave them a range and they said, Oh, oh, wow, Craig, we think you're being very nice. In fact, we employ a lot of futurists to come and talk to us and you guys are always quite conservative with your predictions, like you'll say 10 or 15 years and it'll happen in a short period of time. And I said, so what was the consensus around the table and they said, eight years, Mm. eight years until Personalized medicine makes uh, tablets for herds of people uh, increasingly irrelevant and really disrupts their business plan. Mm. And we're seeing that right now with the the amazing technology of the uh, uh, MN, so it's mRNA technology. That uh, I don't know if you saw this TED talk that was uh, published, but it was a chief scientist for Moderna and she talked about, they were working with that technology and trying to solve cancer and then the pandemic hit. So they pivoted Mm -hmm. and in an hour, they created the vaccine. And that's what this firm was worried about. Right? They're like, oh, so that technology could create a a personalized drug uh, in 40 days essentially for someone and that uh, just changes that business model. Mm. So this is what I run into frequently is people hear my message and then question their future. Mm. And so they they think then, well, what are the opportunities Mm. as well? And that's what I try and do is reveal the unseen opportunities for these problems that they're facing that they think they can't overcome. But with a little foresight and innovation, and uh, and applying it in their in their business, they usually can come overcome it. But uh, they need, uh, especially my leaders, need more, say, uh, tools in their tool bag to deal yeah. with these issues. Frequently, it's surprising to me that they would reveal to me, Sally, how lost they really are.
0: Yeah, 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 and I can completely appreciate how important that trust is when you're working with people because this is very um like you said people making themselves very vulnerable um and i imagine also the vulnerability they're feeling and also the stress and the the fear um is probably a big part of what prevents them from seeing opportunity too would you agree with that
1: absolutely uh, if you look at research into my market chief executives, there has been tons of studies of them. Mm. And I remember just a few years ago, before the pandemic, a few, few years before the pandemic, IBM consulting side did a huge survey of, I think it was, almost 60,000 chief executives, and they asked them, what is the number one stressor for you, right? Mm, What mm. what is the number one thing top of mind? And I wasn't surprised when they confirmed what I was feeling and seeing with my clients is complexity selling. Mm, mm. They are overwhelmed. They're overworked. They don't have time to think. They, especially during the last couple of years, They've just been responding to change and trying to cope with massive shifts. Yeah. And so they're, they're tired, they're stressed, they're overworked mm. and something has to give. And I try and make a suggestions to them that maybe their org chart needs updating. Are oh, you got the same org chart from mm. you know two and a half years ago? Mm, that doesn't seem to be working and uh, you're still recruiting locally rather than globally. When you can't find people locally, that doesn't make sense. Mm. And you're not working on a new business model. Like You're not adding a new business model because that's where innovation really is coming now is from new business models. So why aren't you adding new opportunities? Because we've seen anything is possible. Things can change overnight. We can shift directions almost instantly. We've proven that to ourselves. So Mm -hmm. why don't we take advantage of that? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: uh, some do, Sally, but I have to say, most do not. They just keep on doing the doing. And clearly, for most chief executives, it's maybe 1% that have figured out a way that they can work best and have that time to have a quiet mind and, and reflect on what you're doing, rather than just be overwhelmed with the doing and the complexity of being a chief executive. I really feel sorry for them. Mm. I really do. Mm. Um, I remember being there myself, and it's all encompassing. Mm. And uh, you'd really have to set that time aside to think about um, uh, other things other than Compliance or recruiting or, you know, yeah. management issues. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I'd love to talk about you know. So in order to be creative, <laughs> um, you know, you have the broad view. You you read the magazines about cats. You read that you know you you <laughs> you give yourself rich information in all different areas, right? Um, so you've given yourself information you've got the data, and then how does the creativity work? Because for me, some of the great futurists that I think of are, are Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, holy moly, you know, Alice Huxley. Um, mm. You know, so, and, and there was such imagination there.
1: Incredible. Yeah. And what people don't really know is in our community, uh, where are these science fiction writers? and uh, and artists. And and, uh, I I got a chance to hang out with them. And there's, I know, I just pinched myself. I remember um, talking to the advertising industry and I, uh, myself and my wife got flown to Bermuda to talk to the worldwide presidents of this big advertising firm. And in Bermuda, you hop on these little uh, mini buses, and they take you to the resorts because there's not a lot of cars allowed on Bermuda. It's a small island, mm-hmm. and uh, I hop into this uh, mini van, and there's a guy in a uh, white leisure suit from the 1970s, and this was the ni- late 1990s, yeah. and uh, and uh, he introduces himself. And I just knew who it was instantly looking at him. He said, hi there, I'm Ray Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> and all I could think to say to myself is, and all, oh, it's one of my heroes. And so all I could say was, I know it's you. <laughs> and uh, I mean, this is somebody who had a, an incredible imagination. And could create these entire worlds, mm. entire worlds mm. around an idea like the burning of books in the future. Mm. Boy, are we starting to get back to there right now. That mm. future that he predicted in Fahrenheit 451? Fahrenheit mm. Isn't that interesting? We may be back there now. Mm. And so, yes, creativity is so important. And one, one, um, Uh, entrepreneur that was my client put me on retainer he said Craig you know what you need to do is take this retainer and just take a day off think and then come and talk to me about your thinking and so uh, yes the so they he was giving me permission to be creative to take that time and so for me painting I'm not an artist um music oh I've dabbled in that but it's really, you know, if you think if you pursue any art, right, and art is creativity, you, you want to study the masters. And then you want to develop your own style. And I think I sort of do that. And but I've never really considered myself a writer. In fact, my book, How to Think Like a Futurist is just um, a bunch of my slides in a book, I literally created this book. And someone from Simon and Schuster saw it and said, oh, Craig, you knew that things were going this way. I said, what? (laughs) (laughs) They said, oh yeah, 20 minute reads are the new thing. There's like TED books. They said, you did a TED book before TED did. And I'm like, oh, is that on trend? And then it was at the time. Mm. Yeah. And so I went a completely different way. I thought I want a full color book, every single page. And I'll just take my best slides from how to think like a futurist and put mm-hmm. it into the book. Cause what do people want at the end of your presentation? Can I have a copy of your slides? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they get the PowerPoint or keynote and what do they do with it? They forget it's there, yep. but a physical book, and you know, they'll pass it on to someone else and mm-hmm. boy, my books get passed around and mm-hmm. people read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yes, it, for me, I guess my creativity is, uh, you know, painting a story about the future and how we can get there and the benefit that we'll, you'll have if you think like a futurist, you could come up with all, all these new opportunities you may not have considered. Mm. And so I guess that's my area. It's, mm. you know, it's a bit hard to relate business straight to creativity, But actually, if you look at the works of Dr. Peter Drucker, who wrote the original OG book on entrepreneurialism, Mm -hmm. he started the book with, to be an entrepreneur, it's the combination of creativity for commercial gain. Mm. And I guess the creative thinking comes from the futurist thinking. And then for me, the commercial gain is let's launch something new. Let's create a new initiative. Mm. And they don't always work. In fact, you know, I encourage what I learned at being at Apple was failing fast. Mm. And so, you know, not all of my projects have always been successful. But if you're doing them quickly and you iterate quickly instead of it taking a long time to do something, Mm. then you can have a few failures, but you'll have a few hits as well. Mm. And Mm. so that's something that, you know, that when it comes to innovation, it's about rapid prototyping and trying different ideas with clients as quickly as you can. Yeah. And so I think that's the you know what I stand for, and uh, it's I guess it's useful thinking. A lot of people think so. Um, it's amazing what they will write about me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I think I'm delivering one thing, Sally. Of <laughs> what they get from it is completely different but it must be helpful because they invite me back you know for yeah yeah decades invite <laughs> me back yeah what one, one group hired me for 25 years every month mm. i delivered a new presentation for 25 years mm. and basically they all retired and had completely different businesses at the end of our 25 years uh, together
0: mm. and
1: i think wow uh The opportunities that I've fallen into because of what I do is just remarkable. I pinch myself uh, every day. Mm. But I think I know why I'm here, Sally. Um, Somebody came to my classroom when I was a a youngster. I must have been nine or ten. And he was a guest speaker, and he was just towered over over everyone. He must have been six foot five or six foot seven. And this might be somebody that you've heard of or know. Do you know who Charlie Tremendous Jones was? Mm
0: -hmm. No, I don't.
1: Wow. Google him. He was part of the public speaking industry for so many years. And he made it his mission to upgrade young people's minds through books. And he started a charity and he would go around speaking at schools and he would talk about how um, you know, your future, where you'll be five years from now, will uh, be on the books that you read and the conversations that you have. I remember him talking about this, not what special degree that you get or the title that you get, but it's the books that you read and the conversations that you have. And I remember him looking at me sitting on on the floor and looking right at me. And I didn't have a name tag on. We didn't have that in classrooms. He looked right at me and he said, Craig, you know what? You are 10 times better than you think you are. And then he pointed to Sally I could imagine you sitting there in the classroom and said, Sally, you are 10 times better than you think you are. And you know what? I couldn't believe that. I thought to myself, could that possibly be true? He planted a seed. And I have to tell you, I eventually got to see him again because he was part of one of my peer groups. And I said, you know, you planted a seed that got me here. (laughs) All these years later, and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, "Uh, I'm happy to hear that, Craig. Mm. And that makes me so happy. And I said, Really? How many times did you do that? He said, Do you know what? I set myself a mission to talk to 10 million school kids. And oh, wow, how about that for a goal Mm. And, and introduce them to this idea that they might be 10 times better than they think. And it's the books and conversations that they have that will really make them.
0: Mm. And I
1: have to tell you, it just transformed my life. It mm. planted a seed that I couldn't resist. Yeah. I had to discover why I might be 10 times better than I think. Uh, I couldn't see it. You, know? yeah. you yeah. certainly can't see it when you're 10 years old. Yeah. But boy, did that resonate with me. And imagine the change, the good that he did. Mm. That is a good thing. That is a kind thing. Mm. That is a gift that you're giving a young person. Imagine, you know, how he changed America Mm. by talking to 10 million kids and getting them to believe in themselves and read books and have conversations. So inspiring. So I want to give him credit because um, I wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for him and Ray Bradbury and Arthur C. Clark and so many people. Gene Rodbury, uh, um, so the son of the, the creator of, of Star Trek is, um, was um, Eugene, was a member of the Futurist Society. We could talk about his father. and So we've got all in our community, Sally, these Very creative people that wrote science fiction and created ways for people to cope with the inevitable future or look at possible scenarios, and that created science fiction, our most successful Mm -hmm. movies in history, and they've always been part of our community, and for a long time, I thought to myself, I'm not nearly as creative creative as them, but I've come to accept I might have been better than I thought myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that what I do is I sort of paint with ideas that mm. shifts my, people's minds like great art does.
0: Mm. So Craig, you mentioned the inevitable future, you know, the future mm. that's coming. And and a question that pops into my mind, because as I mentioned to you before this um, call, the observer effect fascinates me. So the fact that when we observe something, it has an effect in matter, mm. and so if we're conceiving of something, if we're imagining something, if we, you know we're a science fiction writer, we're Leonardo da Vinci, you know helicopters. Um, how much is well? What are your thoughts on this? At least you know is the future inevitable? Inevitable because we are observing it into happening.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. If you and I have, and in, in you know in my career. Ask great futurists, how much of futurism is foresight Mm. and prediction rather than suggestion? Right? Mm. Suggesting something must happen, and therefore it does. And, you know, the great people that I have met uh, said it's about 50-50, so you're predicting what is happening, but you're suggesting what could be. And it, wow, you just ask uh, Gordon Moore, the co-founder of Intel, uh, you know, he predicted that the price performance of chips would double every, uh, on average, 18 months. And uh, wow, if you listen to him talk, and I got a chance to meet him briefly uh, around his uh, 40th anniversary of Moore's Law, just five minutes, you know, I had. Um, I said, what's the most remarkable thing that you've seen since you made that prediction back in the 1960s? He said that they kept on creating engineers to live up to my prediction, and they kept on getting smarter. We didn't think we could solve the problem so those chips doubled in price performance, but they kept on making engineers smarter every generation, Craig. It's just remarkable solving these problems that we didn't think we could solve. And you just think, ah, Intel became great because they had this thing that they had to live up to, a prediction. That they, you know, a law that we must create ships. And so they did. (laughs) (laughs) So, wow, the prediction and the suggestion. There's one perfect example of Mm. that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, And so can we bring this all, can we crystallize it down to a personal level? How to be our own futurists and um you know we were talking about i asked you before we hit record you know have you had any any epic fails and you said well not with the businesses i've worked with but (laughs) personally i have and can you just talk to that a little bit not necessarily all about (laughs) your own personal epic failures but how we can um be our creative futurists for us
1: Yeah. yeah listen i have had my own projects that have failed and i've maybe made this suggestion uh, that half of everything that you try we should just write down to it's going to fail and other the other 50 percent is going to be successful so let's just try 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 as quickly as we possibly can and that's why i always insist my clients do 90 day projects and mm-hmm. they go 90 days, you can't do anything in 90 days. And I say, well, if you can't do it in 90 days, it's probably not gonna be successful in the long term. But if we think about on the personal level, then what does that mean for us? If we are going to think a bit like futurists, steal some of the best ideas. Uh, If we summarize what we've talked about is, well, you've really gotta take that time to be still and not be busy. You can't be creative, you can't think, unless you've got that time to be still and think about things. What could be? What possibly could be? If you're busy doing, 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 it's hard to practice mm-hmm. foresight. Yeah. And there are some things, like you said the word, and I actually would like to credit Kevin Kelly, the great futurist co-founder of Wired Magazine, wrote this great book a few years ago that everyone should read, The Inevitable. There are some things that are inevitable. In his book all those years ago, uh, before the pandemic, a couple of years before the pandemic, he talked about how it is inevitable that everything will become a subscription. Everything will become like Netflix. So if you're thinking about your business or your, or your personal career, what does that mean? Does that mean we're not going to have jobs? We're going to have people who subscribe to what we do. Mm, Isn't that interesting? Mm. Or maybe I should be offering subscriptions to what I do. Mm. Mm, Isn't that interesting? Mm. So we need those times to reflect, Look at the things that we think we're going to bet on. I would always bet on Kevin Kelly. If he says everything in the future is going to be a subscription, I've got to ask myself, what does that mean to me? Mm. How will I respond? How should I behave? What should I try? And these, I think, are the best things that futurism bring is getting people to make a bet on the future, an optimistic future, and take action to uh, have a, you know, the best possible uh, scenario outcome for themselves, their career, their family, or or their business. And it really is so important, I Mm. think, to set aside that time. And it can't be just once a year. It really can't be. If you do it once a year, you're going to be so behind. And typically people just dabble in strategic Mm. planning. (laughs) They just, they're not very good at it. And Mm. I know because they admit it to me. Mm. And I say, use the tools that futurists do. Um, I will reveal to you how I typically work with clients if that might be inspiring. It would be. Yeah, okay. So I thought to myself, artificial intelligence is inevitable. So as a futurist, as a strategic advisor, as a management consultant, I must understand how I can use AI better to serve my clients. So now when the steel industry or the insurance industry or the airline industry or the pork industry or the radiology industry asked me, Craig, can you uh, come and work with us? I say, sure, can I bring along my AI assistant, Athena? And Athena is an AI assistant that will look at a million sources all around the internet, anything that's not password protected. And if it's got anything to do with future forecasts or trends in any industry, she summarizes it, slices and dices it, puts it into charts and graphs automatically for me. And the time that I, it takes for me to go get a cup of coffee, I can come back and I've got a 77 page slide deck on the future of steel. Wow. And when I show this to clients, that's what they say. <laughs> they go, wow, <laughs> do you know how much time and money we spend on that? We, 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 we will have three or four staff working on that for months. Some of my clients will say, you just did that in that time? I said, yes, but that's data. What we need to do to verify it is we need peer review. And so on this platform that I use where Athena is, we have 21,000 futurists, and they all look at these trends as they're coming in, and they upvote them and downvote them. They give it a time frame of how long they think it's gonna be short-term, medium-term or long-term. And then the impact, is it gonna be trillions of dollars, billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars? And so here we have data and we have peer review. And when I ask my clients, would you like me to bring along hundreds and hundreds of futurists and my AI assistant to look at what the future holds? They say, holy cow. We can't get that anywhere else. That's remarkable, Craig. Come and help us. And uh, I think to myself, we now have the tools where we can be superhuman employees, superhuman leaders, doctors, um, industry leaders, advisors, because we can use these tools that make us like superhumans. And for me, uh, it's Athena. For every leader, I say to them, you must get an AI assistant,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you must also have a, a, uh, a human assistant as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you, you have to have both to help you be uh, a leader these days. And if you're not, you're working way too hard. So that's mm-hmm. how I typically work now. It used to be very hard to do an environmental scan. It would take months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And if you had undergraduates, that would be uh, very helpful, but now we can do it with AI. Mm. And so just, you know, your listeners should be thinking, let's look for those inevitable things. AI is inevitable, personalized mm-hmm. medicine, the internet of things. How will that affect my industry? How will that affect my company? How does that affect me? And how should I respond?
0: Yeah. And
1: this, I think, is the greatest benefit that we bring uh, to society as futurists, is getting people to consider, you know, their best possible future.
0: Oh, Craig, thank you so much for this conversation, your, your generosity, and, and also thank you for your optimism, you know. <laughs> because as you said there there is a lot of pessimism out there and I think um, sometimes pessimism, pessimism is cloaked as realism these days so thank you for that
1: you're very welcome I hope that's been helpful to your listeners and they take something from that that will change their life in some small way
0: well I certainly have myself personally and I'm I'm sure listeners Will as well. And I'm I'm so grateful to you for your time and for sharing all of those insights um, and ideas and approaches too. And if people want to connect with you or buy your book, how do they do so, Craig?
1: Well, probably the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Yep. So just search for me, Craig Rispin, that's R-I-S. P I N and send me a connection request and say, I heard you on Sally's uh, podcast. So I know that um, where you're coming from, that'd be really helpful. And you can get my book on Amazon, how to think like a futurist and they will print it on demand and ship it to you anywhere in the world. Isn't that great? Oh, it's incredible. (laughs) Yes. 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 It is an incredible time that we're living in.
0: Sure is. Well, Craig, thank you again. And listeners and watchers, thank you for joining us and being a part of this wonderful conversation and community. Thank you. And I'll look forward to seeing you on the waves next time. Bye.
1: Bye now.